You're listening to More in the Morning on News Talk 1010 Toronto. 6.22 is the time on a Wednesday morning. Some of you, depending on where you are, are getting some rain showers. Seems to be some uh, scattered cells over the GTA. So, uh, you know, check out the door on your way and decide whether or not you need to take an umbrella. Preet Banerjee is here, personal finance commentator and this morning's pundit for the morning brief. Nice to have you. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Okay, so the big story, obviously, is the housing minister's chief of staff has uh, resigned. And worth noting, August 9th is when Bonnie uh, Lissick's report came out. And here we are. Well, the resignation came on the 22nd. And I think a lot of people knew this was coming. And here we are. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are saying this isn't enough. You know, Amato being thrown to the wolves is just not going to quell uh, people's thirst for, you know, a public inquiry. And I think a full public inquiry at this point is something that the government actually invited by just being so brazen on this whole ordeal. And it seems just so unlikely that a staffer would have had the power to make such a big decision without uh how do we put it input from other people so i don't think the story is dying anytime soon this was like the minimum that you would expect to happen it took a while and i think they're trying maybe not even to do this much which just tells you how brazen they are about this whole thing and also they're in a bit of a bind aren't they because the 15th recommendation from bonnie lissick was reverse the undoing of the green belt but they can't do that because then a whole bunch of people would lose eight billion dollars Yes. um, And that is on the government. You know, if that is something that eventually ends up happening, which I don't think is realistically going to happen, I think we're going to try and learn and move on from this. But there's still people who could be held to account for that decision, which is going to go through. Let's move on to a few other issues, including the deputy prime minister and finance minister caught speeding in Alberta. How much of a sin is that? (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, first thing I saw when I saw the story was, are vice presidents even allowed to drive in the I don't even think they are. But as far as, you know, uh, the speeding aspect of this whole ordeal, I think it would be really bad if she was approaching anywhere near 50% over the limit. Yeah. I don't think we know exactly what the limit was. I think that some reporting has just assumed it was in a very low limit zone. But if you're doing 132 in a 110 zone, which is a speed limit, that's 22 over. And, you know, show me someone right now in the 407 if traffic's not bad. That's not doing a minimum of 132. But if it was 132 and an 80, then that's a really big deal because now you're at, you know, over 50 kilometers over the speed limit i think that's grounds for impounding the vehicle and if you're the deputy prime minister you can't get anywhere near that yeah and then of course people are mocking her because she said she doesn't own a car and uh, you know okay so she you don't own a car but apparently when you borrow one you drive it real fast (laughs) so what i mean listen i don't own a car i live in an urban core and i'm a car person i went to auto racing school to try and become a professional race car driver ran out of talent and money it's a story for another time but (laughs) but i you know i don't have a car but i'm happily rent a car or motorcycle when i'm traveling that is just such a non-issue i think people are just looking for any way to 
you know, take a shot at the deputy PM if they can. So um, affordability has become an issue in housing, obviously. And we were just talking with Aaron Real from NBC about how cost-constrained buyers are just buying smaller homes. I guess that makes total sense, but it's also going to influence urban development. Yeah, and you know, it, it's kind of like how you used to get eight hot dogs in a bun, or eight hot dog buns in a package, and now you only get six for the same price. It's shrinkflation, but it's happening with housing. And, you know, if you take a look at the price per square foot, it's still trending up. It's just that people are buying less square feet as a way to cope with the housing unaffordability. Now, the flip side is, you know, I think it is probably speaking a little bit more to people's changing preferences about how they use their homes. It's also less to heat and cool. So as climate change becomes more important for people when it comes to thinking about where they want to live, that's actually a small positive. And it's also very relative. I mean, if you look at uh, depending on what stats you look at, but new home builds, say, in the 2010s, in the UK averaged 900 square feet for a new build. It's like half the size of Canada and US. So, yeah. you know, you could say that they've just been really big. Yeah, well, I, something I find interesting in all of this, though, Preet, is that, I mean, obviously, starter homes are going to be bought by young people, and young people are showing much less interest in acquiring things. So, you know, they have much smaller wardrobes, for example. They don't own cars. So I guess it's not surprising that they're going to be able to get by living in a smaller space. Yeah, it's true. You know, these changing consumer preferences of the next generations are playing a huge role in how things are built, not just houses, but as to, to your point, cars. You know, previous generations, we really cared about horsepower and the looks of the car. And from what I've been hearing from my friends in the automotive industry, it's all about what's on the inside of the car in terms of tech. And they don't really care that much about drivability. It's all pretty good. So manufacturers of anything have to adapt to the changing preferences of consumers. That's just reality. A lot of people have been calling for stricter bail conditions these days, basically keeping more people behind bars pending trial. But at a conference of chiefs of police, one chief offered that we could end up with an over-representation of people being held behind bars because black and indigenous people are less likely already to get bail pending trial. So they may end up in, you know, being detained in even greater numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the justice minister, he did say that, you know, the tougher reforms apply to a finite number of repeat offenders and the efforts to reduce the number of people of color in jail focus on nonviolent offenses. I think we need to quantify what is that finite amount so we know what those numbers are. What is the trade-off we're being made? Otherwise, on the surface of it, I'm actually all for a reverse onus for repeat violent offenders. We have to draw a line somewhere, and that seems acceptable. Uh, again, but I'd want to know the numbers to be sure. And finally, the idea of time blindness, that somebody who's routinely <laughs> late for everything can claim that it's sort of like dyslexia. Oh, it's just a, it's, it's a condition. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be trying that for the next couple of weeks. But I was chatting to my wife about this, and she made a great analogy. You know, of time blindness certainly is a thing as part of, you know, ADHD. It can affect people for sure. But so, you know, you know, being in a wheelchair and you go to an employer at work, you don't ask them if they will give you a wheelchair, but you want them to make things accessible for you. And I think when it comes to companies and time blindness, they're making you, they're giving you the accommodation that you need in the form of a calendar and alerts that you can put 
it. If you're going to be late for meetings, you set as many alerts as you need, and you've got the technology to do that. No one's stopping you. So using this as an excuse for being late all the time, I don't think it passes muster. All right. Well, you were on time this morning, so it's good to have you. Thank you, Preet. Good to have you. Uh, Preet Banerjee is a personal finance commentator and the founder of Money Gaps, and that's his website. If you want to know more about Preet and his thinking, it's at Money Gaps.